Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. Hello and welcome to the Bike Radar podcast, brought to you from the team behind Cycling Plus, MBUK, and BikeRadar.com. Welcome to the Bike Radar podcast. I'm Rob Spelling, content director here on Bike Radar, and today I am joined by technical editor Tom Marvin. Tom. Hello there, yeah, hello. And senior technical editor Warren Rossiter. Hello, Warren. Hi. We are still, uh, by the time you, yeah, by the time you hear this, we'll still be in lockdown, but we, uh, things are moving on. We're allowed out on our bikes now more and more. We can meet up with people. We can do all kinds of crazy things, can't we? I'm uh, I'm allowed to bubble now, I think. Um, oh, as a single person living on my own, I can now find one other household with which I can go and hug. Isn't that nice? <laughs> That's nice. <laughs> so you put an advert in a local paper for that or something? Yeah, I think it's called Tinder or something. <laughs> I'm sure that... I think that's what it's for as well, definitely. Yeah. We should probably yeah. move on really quickly um, and talk about a different kind of social bubble, perhaps, because what we're going to talk about today um, are bike launches um as as i've said we've got two technical editors here with us uh tom he predominantly works in the mountain bike field and warren is uh, from our roadside but together they go out not together not together but they the pair of them are fixtures at bike launches throughout the year um and product launches for things like shoes helmets in all kinds of exotic places so what we thought we would do is just sort of talk through what happens at these, um, why we go to them, what we get from them, the crazy, crazy anecdotes uh, can come from them uh, and, and hopefully give you a better insight into, uh, into what a bike launch is and, and what that actually means for us and what it means for you. So I think it's fair to say, gents, the, uh, Warren at the moment, there aren't actually many bike launches, and this would be peak bike launch season, wouldn't it? We're in June, it's summer, and this is when people start launching bikes. Yep, yep, absolutely. I mean, I've uh, 
had at least half a dozen launches that have either been cancelled or or moved into the uh, online arena, which can be interesting in itself. Being at a bike launch last week, which was was done over a YouTube conference, was actually quite interesting. Um, a little bit of a disconnect there, but still managed to get in some answers and and you know um, get in some tricky questions, which is one of the things that is is always good um, when you're at, you know when you're at a bike launch in in uh, in the real world, as it were. Yeah, Tom, have you done any virtual bike launches since lockdown? Uh, I've not done any. Well, I've been lucky enough, I think, to avoid any Zoom bike launches or, or whatever. But I have had uh, a number of new bikes um, that would have been launched, well, were launched, but would have been would have had a launch, um, and they've been sent direct to us um, with a, a detailed press pack. I, I do have a a launch in advent commas coming up uh, later this month, um, where I will be talking to some people in Spain. Um, but we'll see how that goes. But yeah, as such, no actual launches, just new products. So when we talk about bike launches, I mean, we we know what they are. We do them. I've done them. I've got some great stories from them. Um, probably not such great bike reviews. But essentially, what is a bike launch? What are we actually talking about here? Tom? I mean, a bike launch is basically the, the brand's opportunity to... Uh, present a new bike ahead of its um, embargo, you know, public launch date to uh, the the press. Um, usually, uh, either a global or a continental launch, um, so European and North American potentially, um, and it just gives them the opportunity to, I guess, kind of tell the story about the bike uh, and give the media the opportunity to meet those behind uh, the new bike or the new product uh, to give extra insight. Um, so that when we come around to writing those news stories, um, we've maybe had a little bit more access than we otherwise would have had, um, which helps us tell a better story to the people who read it. Um, and also, I guess, gives us the opportunity to ride the bike ahead of time um, and ask those tricky questions that, that Warren sort of alluded to earlier on, um, which aren't so easy to do maybe if you're not right there with those people it gives you the opportunity to bounce off others and have those conversations that you maybe don't happen so easily um over the internet warren how many sort of uh, other journalists tend to be on these things is it is it just you and, uh, and a bunch of people from a bike brand or is it a one massive party um i wouldn't call it a massive party but uh, i mean it depends on the brand really you know some some brands like to keep it fairly compact and so They'll only invite key journalists from from all their major territories, as it were. Uh, some have a bit more of a scattergun approach, where you know you can be in a room or riding for a few days, you know, with with fifty other people. Um, I do think it's much better if they if they keep the numbers down, um, because then you get obviously get more face time with the people that really matter, with the engineers and with the designers and with with the the creative teams behind it, rather than just getting marketing speak. You know, um, I I think it. You can always tell when a media outlet, you know, like ourselves, has has been in attendance on a launch because you're not just parroting the figures that you're seeing a press release. So it doesn't become one of those endless kind of it's X percent stiffer, it's X percent lighter, it's, it's so many watts more aerodynamic, etc. Which, you know, um, quantifying those those things is almost an irrelevance it's like you want to know why you know that's that's always my thing on a, on a launch is, is you want to quiz you want to quiz the engineers why did you do that what's so important about that you know uh, and 
Um, and then I think you can then start to understand, you then start to understand brands and, and how they work, you know, what their main focus is. And these things happen in exotic locations. Would that be fair? They're not always, look, uh, or, are they, or are they not always exotic locations? Tom, where's the best place you've, you've been taken to ride a new bike? I mean, it, you know, if you want to look at it as sort of like the best place, like the furthest place, you know, like I, I've had a, a trip to New Zealand, which certainly didn't complain about. Um, one of my favourite places to go for, for launches has been Iceland. Um, it's an amazing country with like the riding that really sort of tests sort of, you know, it gives you real opportunities. But for me, the best locations is one's you know, where you've got the best riding. And, and I'll be honest, I've done amazing launches within an hour of Bristol. You know, if you get the right mix of people, the right bike, potentially, the right trails, you don't have to go to far-flung places for it to be the, the best launch for riding. Warren, you've you've been around a bit. <laughs> I have been around a bit. Um, <laughs> it, I always think it, it's uh, providing your... that where you're being taken to ride suits the bike, as it were. You know, it's like, mm. um, I think, the last... Well, not the last, but the, the you know great ones for things like um, Cannondale's Evo. I think the second generation one where we rode the Gisalo or um, riding uh, Ultegra Di2 up Mount Etna in Sicily. Um, you know there've been some really great ones, and then you know going riding riding gravel in California is you know a pretty epic experience. But then again, you know last year riding gravel in Scotland with Cervelo was was pretty epic as well. Um, you know, especially if you uh, if you're crashing um, chippy collarbone, which I managed to do. <laughs> yeah, you've got a you've got a couple of um, of injury stories from launches because they, you know, it, the, the important thing is that I suppose to 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 paint a picture for people, quite often you will have the launch possibly at a reasonably nice hotel somewhere. Uh, it may be at the manufacturer's base. Um, you know, I've been to one with Trek in Wisconsin, which was done at, at their, uh, you know, at their headquarters, and that's always very interesting. But they, they, they do follow a bit of a format, don't they? So, Tom, what, how would you see, say that format works? How does I mean, it start? You, your average format, really. I mean, they, they, it does depend brand to brand, you know. And as I say, I've been on ones where it's a one-on-one trip with just me, um, and I've been on ones where there's fifty other media people there. But I guess your your average would be a you know a flight out of um, you know London or Bristol, uh, get picked up, shuttle to the hotel, and then usually you know it's luxury limos meeting. usually isn't it? I mean, I always have a stretch oh, limo. Always, yeah. I mean, I, I request it so. Um, they've got to keep you sweet. Um, so, you know, you'll, you'll tend to rock up to, to the hotel and often in the evening there'll be um, uh, a presentation of the new bike quite often before you see it and they'll kind of, you know, unveil the bike during that. And, and that's sort of their opportunity to give you that PowerPoint presentation that is on virtually every launch. Um, and then, you know, assuming it's a it's a, a good launch, uh, you'll be riding then for a couple of days after that, hopefully with minimal other presentations, but with opportunities to speak to those engineers, the designers, um, and maybe even some of their pro riders as well. I've had some, you know, some of the greatest sort of from a, an information point of view trips have been where we've been able to speak to the athletes, whether it's Fabian Burrell with Canyon um, or well, Nico Vuglios with Lapierre, for example, who's, hev- you know, they're both heavily involved in the design of the bike. So those opportunities 
tend to come about during those second and third days of riding. And was you know um, Tom there talked about the PowerPoint presentation. That's obviously always my favourite part of any kind of launch, um, but. That, that's usually delivered to, delivered by the marketing teams, and, uh, and you know they, they're really good at that. But what I've always found is that it's it's the launches where the engineers are there, the people that have designed the bikes. That's where you get that's really where you get the that's where you get the insight from, isn't it? Oh yeah, that's absolutely where you get the insight. You know, um, and I think on the whole, especially on the road, most of the brands have uh, have come round to that that way of thinking. So whereas. You know, many, many moons ago when I started doing these things, you were literally being sold a sales story and a marketing story. Now, the really good brands, the really good brands that, that handle their marketing well, those marketing teams are only there to facilitate your access to the engineers. You know, you you, you know, so you get proper one-on-one time with them, you know. Um, you know it, it, you've got brands, you know, brands like Specialized are particularly good at it. You know, they're... they're their marketing people are tend to take a complete back seat. And so all your launches are and all your presentations are run by engineers. So you'll talk to the composites guy about how the frame was made. You'll talk to the aero guys about how they've made it quicker, you know, and, and, and we're having that sort of access just means you just come away a lot more informed about, about what you've been riding or, you know, uh, and you, you get to see sort of almost behind, behind the curtain on, on how these brands think and how they've, you know how they've how they've become distinct from everybody else in the market. You know what you know what what's driven them them in the directions that they've 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 gone, as it were. I, mean, I think that's sort of totally correct. I mean, some of the the better ones in terms of the the tech side of it is when you can actually go to their factories, for example. So last year I went out to to Morgan Hill on a specialised trip, and you know we we spent time in their suspension engineers workshops you know and okay he stood around for a long time you know in, in a room with a lot of other people but actually you know speaking to the people who have designed you know the brain shock for example and in the workshop in which they're doing it or at the factory in which canyon are putting together those bikes is actually really interesting it gives you that extra element that you know you can make the most of um often you know if you, if you go on a bike launch you might come away with a news story and maybe a little first ride but i guess what what we're trying to do out of out of the launches especially when we can speak to those engineers and the pros and all that sort of stuff is what else can we get out of those trips the behind the scenes stuff is really good isn't it i mean like i said um two two years ago i think it was trek madone launch out in wisconsin and and to see the trek factory and and everything that goes into putting a bike together and from, you know, from the, from the start, from the, the, the guys that designed it and their mood boards through to the sort of the, 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 the finishing part of the, of the job. Cause you know, most of the bikes are built in the far East and then they, they, they're finished over here, uh, finished at, finished at the factories, wherever they are. Um, but they're, they're, you know, all the design work is carried out at the factory and, and, um, to sort of see the the rolling road that Trek has, and I know you guys have both seen the the wind tunnel out at Specialized. To see the the amount of resource that goes into putting bikes on the road is is incredible, and that really is beneficial at a launch, isn't it? I think you see the effort. Mm. Yeah, it definitely gives context to to what they're doing, and and gives you that sort of maybe realization. It's, it might not be the same for every brand, but you know there are brands who actually do put a lot of R and D into these bikes, and. Okay, they're they're kind of often choreographed sort of show-offs of, of what they're doing, but it doesn't make them not interesting. It doesn't make them not relevant as well. And then there's the riding, which is always 
my least favourite part because uh, there tend to be journalists there, designers there, engineers there, and, of course, pro athletes who are all really, really fit. And I'm never fit when I go on a launch, so I'm always out the shot out the back straight on the first climb. But the riding is the really important part of it, isn't it, Warren, at a launch? Oh, most definitely, yeah, yeah. That's where you can really, really, you know, the things that have just been explained to you and the things that they're trying to get across about that bike, when you actually get out to test them, that's where you can put it to the test. You know, you can really, you can really see if, you know, whether they've just been feeding you a load of BS or whether it's actually it's transferred into making a bike good, you know, um, it, you know, it, like cases in point, it's like, you know, most of the big road launches you'll go on, it will involve a big climb. So it will be Abdoez or the Madone or the Gisalo or, you know, any of these. And, you know, my thing is you don't learn much about a bike from going uphill. You learn a lot about yourself, but when you're coming back down, you learn a hell of a lot about a bike. You know, you really, really do. You really find out then whether a bike, you know, where they've hit all their goals, you know, whether it descends properly, where it corners properly, where, it, you know, if, if it handles confidently, that's where you can really see it. The only, the only caveat I would put on that is that, especially on the road, most of the roads throughout Europe and North America tend to be much higher quality than we ride at home. So you can come away from riding a bike and go, wow, that was amazing. It was so smooth. And then you can get it back to, you know, the rough roads of Somerset and Wiltshire and actually go, hang on, this you know, this wasn't quite the same. So there always has to be that, you know, that kind of caveat that, you know, you're riding on some 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 tremendously good quality roads. And I guess another caveat, Tom, is that we rarely go on launches or we're rarely invited on launches where we're getting to ride the brand new £1,000, $1,000 bike. It's usually the £10,000, $10,000 dollar bike you know the launches are always you know i think without exception are usually the 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 top of the range model do you think that's kind of is that still worthwhile because these are dream machines that a small minority of people will actually buy i mean i think it still has relevance it's 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 definitely a valid criticism um because you know you understandably a brand is going to want to show off their halo model it's the bike that feels the best that works the best is the fastest most comfortable most uh, the best experience that you're going to get so obviously you know this is they're run by the marketing departments they want you to come and have a you know a good ride on their bike so they're, they're always almost always going to give you that top set bike it doesn't ha- always happen um, sometimes you get the option to ride lower spec ones and, and actually when that happens that's what we will we will go for um but I think I think that is still relevant. It, it's still uh, the Halo models exist and they do sell, and people want to see that Exotica. People actually still like reading about those bikes. Um, and but what it, what it tends to mean is that if we've tested like the the top end bike on the on the launch, if we think it's worth it, if we think it's interesting and good, we'll get one in for test, but we won't get that top model. We'll get one that is a, a little bit more attainable for a, a wider range of our readers. And do you think you get enough out? Because you spend a couple of days with the bikes at best. Uh, and from our point of view, when we actually test, when we want to do a full test of a, of a product, you guys want to spend a lot of time with them. You know, you spend a couple of weeks with a bike, you're putting hundreds of miles on them, lots of climbing, lots of descending. Do, do, can you get enough of a feel for 
how good or not a bike is if you just spend half a day riding it on Majorcan roads? No, I don't don't think you can. You know, that's why I think we very, very rarely score that first ride when we report on it, you know, after a launch. Because you just can't make that sort of judgment. You know, and um and and the whole thing about the Halo bike bike thing, um I mean I've asked this question of, of quite a few other brands of like, you know, why have you given us the Dura S D I two one? Why have you given us the you know the SRAM Riverquid bike? And most of the time the honest answer is that's what we've got. You know, it's actually for for the brands, it's it's a lot easier to get hold of those top end group sets than it is for the more mid-range stuff because the more mid-range stuff is is needed now to be built into those high volume selling bikes so it's kind of the the lower volume halo bikes are actually easier for them to produce that said though i mean um again that sort of approach as is changing a little i mean the the one thing i've just reported on recently and you know now we're, we're returning back to the actual testing rather than just doing a launch story on it the new 3t you know the explorer race max when I was talking to to the guys at 3T and, um, you know, Gerard, Gerard was had, we were having a one-to-one conversation about the launch of the bike, um, they asked me what spec I wanted. Now, I could have gone down the, you know, the, the ETAP or Axis route or, you know, or DI2 route. And I said, well, actually, no, can I have mid-range GRX on it and, you know, 3T component finishing kit, but all the alloy stuff? Because then it, it, you're actually getting a bike that's, you know, more likely what people are actually going to be buying. Um, so I'm quite excited about about riding that. And, you know, I've got a, a Halo bike in, in, you know, in my garage right now, which is the best part of 10 grand. That's still under embargo until next week. I've put about... We won't it, reveal your address, Warren. No. Um, I've put about 11 hours riding into it so far. Um, but when I was talking, you know, to, to the guys from this particular brand pre-launch i said well have you got any of the others in stock and they said well actually yeah we've got a lower model so rather than the halo bike they've got the bike at around two or three grand i went brilliant can we get one of those as well and so we have secured one of those as well and another one of the guys on bike radar has that ahead of the launch so you know that's the ideal scenario you can get that halo bike and you can get that bike that everybody is going to want to you know or or going to be able to afford to buy that's the ideal scenario that then you can cover everything else off you know So I guess a, a question that I, I've always, it's not happened to me, I don't do a huge number of launches because I'm a liability, but have you ever been on a launch, had the presentations, got on the bike, started riding and just thought, this is awful or this isn't that good? Oh, Tom, you, uh, Tom, what about you? Has that happened? You don't have yeah. to name any names. Unless I, won't, I won't name and shame, but... Um... Yeah, I've certainly been on on launches for bikes that um, maybe didn't deliver what we quite expected or what we kind of hoped. Um, sometimes that's down to the brand maybe being a little bit more traditional in their approach and maybe we might feel missing the mark. Um, and sometimes maybe it's, there's an element of bad luck. I, I've been on cross-country bike launches which were just in the totally the wrong place to do a cross-country bike launch you know in the you know steep alps in really poor weather with with you know tires that certainly weren't designed for going down downhill tracks with a saddle up your ass but um there certainly have been times when when launches you come away and think oh 
That's a shame, isn't it? <laughs> and Warren, <laughs> they definitely got that a little bit wrong. And and if you're on those launches, when do you reveal that to the the people that have spent months, years designing, putting this bike together? Or do you wait till you get home and write it outwards? Or do you actually sort of have it, you know, almost have it out with them there and go, this this doesn't work. I don't understand this. I've certainly questioned, you know, choices that have been made after I've ridden ridden bikes. You know, sort of like, you know, why have you done that? What what were you, you know, almost what were you thinking? You know, you tended to have it in the kind of earlier days of aero road bikes. There were a lot of aero road bike launches and you went on them and they went, hey, we're going to go and ride this bike on a Formula One race circuit. And you go, why is that then? Is it because they're absolutely glass smooth? And you ride it around a Formula One circuit and you go, yeah, it feels great. But then, you know, I can remember one case in point, I won't reveal where it was or even what country it was, but after we'd finished that testing of doing laps around a, you know, super smooth circuit, I just said, oh, I can't be bothered to wait for the bus. I'm just going to ride the bike back to my hotel. It was only, you know, 10, 15K away. And I did that and I got back to the hotel and... I felt like I needed dental work because I think I'd lost a couple <laughs> of fillings. You know, it was just awful. You know, in, in real world conditions on real roads, it was just a, an awful thing. You know, I couldn't feel the tips of my fingers. Um, you know, I I'd, 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 um, you know, serious pain in my undercarriage and, it, and my, teeth were, my teeth were being rattled out of my head. I just thought, well, you know, why have they done this? And I did actually mention it to, to you know, at that evening's kind of social dinner. I was going... I don't like it. It's just not nice. It's not a once nice you, place to once be. Once you'd refueled, yeah? Once you'd yeah, refueled. Yeah. Exactly, um, yeah. And then what about, have there been occasions where you've actually been blown away? You know, the presentation's sounded all right, and then you've got on a bike and, and just been blown away. You know, what have you got memories of any particular bikes or, or, or launches where you just couldn't believe what you'd ridden? I think there have been key bikes over the years where, you know, after you've ridden them on the launch, you've just gone... Wow, that's that's moved the game. You know, that's that's changed things. You know, I think case in point would probably be uh, the original first generation Cannondale Super Six Evo. You know, it, it was phenomenally light, and up to that point, all those kind of phenomenally light bikes of that era that I'd ridden, it you know they had like the structural integrity of of cold pot noodle. They were just so bendy, and this one was just so sorted, so stiff. Uh, you know it, it just just wonderfully accomplished at that um another one would probably be the bianchi specialissima again with just such a beautifully balanced bike or then um the first generation roubaix with future shock you know we rode basically uh Paris roubaix on it and i couldn't believe that i could you know normally when you're hitting those big cobbled sections on, on, on you know on those sort of classic routes say like the car four all you're trying to do is maintain the, your speed and not not your speed just gets ebbed away as you're you know you're being battered by those cobbles. Uh, but I found on that on that future shock equipped bike, I was picking speed up to the point that right at the end of car four, there are two like ninety degree right hand bends where where the the crown in the middle of the road is quite you know it's almost like a berm. And I was finding I could hit the inside of that like hit it like a berm, launch out and land on the far side of the road. You know, you actually, you know, managing to get air and, and you're just going, this is, this thing is, you know, this is something else. This is something very, very different, very important, you know. And um, of course that bike, you know, was fantastically successful in racing. So um, I think there are those moments where you just sort of go, yeah, this is something, this is something different. This is something new. And um, Tom, how many bikes have you uh, 
damaged quite badly on launches. Any? Uh, I've been pretty. I've been pretty lucky in terms of bike frames uh, and the major components. So I have uh, put a massive hole in a downhill tire on a fire road once, which was uh, maybe a little bit embarrassing. Um, thanks to a set of wheels that were meant to be um, very compliant in a, in a new form. Um, probably not the ones you're thinking of either, but anyway, uh, and they, they very much weren't as, um, yeah, I got a horrific pinch uh, on a fire road. Um, I mean, Seb Stott, who's obviously one of our colleagues, um, he cracked a, a downhill frame um, on its first run down a downhill track, um, snapped it in the middle. Um, and to be fair, actually, to that brand, they were very, um, they're like, yeah, no, we, we understand that's that's obviously not what's meant to happen. And their their reason for that was that it, you know, Seb's a, a tall chap, uh, and it was an extra large frame, which was the only one I think they had, or something like that. Um, and it was still sort of that frame size hadn't been fully tested or whatever it was. But they were very open about it. We wrote about it on site. It was a polygon downhill bike. We wrote about it on site. They they replied, and and, and you know these things do happen. Um, uh, but yeah, so for me, fortunately, I've never, I've never broken a bike. And Warren, have you ever broken anything on you? Uh, I, I've, yeah, I've broken myself a few times. <laughs> um, not really broken any bikes, although I, I was on a launch many, many moons ago, and I was quizzing one of the engineers about the importance of, of the seat stays on the frame. Um, and he sort of went, well, I'll show you how important they are, and got out a hacksaw and cut two inches out of both seat stays, and they told me to go and ride the bike, and I did, and it was fine. It worked. And so, you <laughs> you know, and you just sort of went, wow, that's that's impressive. Because it was all about um, how compliant they'd made these particular seat stays. And he said, well, all the strengths in the chain stay. And I was going, really? And he went, yeah. So he just ch- literally chopped a section of the bike out and said, go for a ride. I went for a ride, and it felt fine, felt great. Um, but ha- as for myself, too many close calls. Um, and, a, you know, aside from Cervelo... Uh, I mean, last year was a bad year for me on launches, actually, because at Cervelo, yeah, I did. I chipped, chipped my collarbone and I chipped um, my scaphoid my, on my shoulder after hitting a uh, hitting a tree on a gravel descent where I was just too fast in the wet and uh, uh, over, overshot the corner. Uh, and then that same year on the Specialised Roubaix launch, um, I mean, it was a dreadful day. It was really wet, right, properly, properly heavy rain. And we rode, I think, the last 120k every bay. So I'd got through all the cold sections, got you know, got through, got through the forest, got through Carrefour, um, and then was riding probably the last 2k through the centre of every bay to get to the velodrome, um, uh, and down down the main drag before you turn right to go into the velodrome. And a, and a bus just um, didn't stop at a T junction, T boned me down the road. Um, I, I, and I, I thought, how, you know, I, I sort of slid for so long because it was so wet into the curb, got up and thought, brilliant, I'm fine. Picked the bike up, looked at it and went, wow, the bike's fine as well. Was, you know, scuffed bar tape, that was it. Um, and I'd burnt a little hole in my in my jacket. Uh, thought nothing of it. Rode round, you know, carried on, rode, rode into Roubaix, rode into the velodrome. I didn't do a lap of the velodrome because by then I was getting a bit sore. Um, went into the, into the Roubaix bar, had a coffee sat down for five minutes and then we just went, oh my God, this is excruciatingly painful. What, they, what on earth is wrong with me? Um, but then, you know, you're in Belgium, the beers are flowing. Um, so I didn't think anything of it. <laughs> uh, rode again the next day, but could barely lift my arm. And it was only when I got home um, 
I did seek medical attention and I broke uh, three ribs at the front and cracked one on the back. Um, uh, and the, the bus way, was a write-off as well, wasn't it? Well, the, the, uh, I mean, the thing with the bus is he didn't even stop. The guy just like, <laughs> he drove past me looking at me and then just carried on. I was like, thanks for that. That's very kind of you. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, that makes it sound quite hairy. Um, you know, we talked about going to nice places, but uh, do you enjoy them? I mean, that, that I, you know, because it sounds, like, to, I, I would imagine to listeners, it sounds, apart from the getting run over bits, it actually sounds like a real fun job. Uh, I mean, yes. I mean, it's a simple answer on launches because um, it's very rarely they'll take you, they won't, you know, they don't take, you know, they take you somewhere that isn't good to ride. You know, you literally get, you go to some of the, you know, the cycling meccas and you get to ride nice bikes. I mean, there's nothing to complain about really, is there? You know, um, the travel can get a bit of a drag and it'd be quite difficult to do at the minute because you'd have to, you know, 14 days isolation there, 14 days isolation back. So a two day launch would take you a month. Um, <laughs> but, uh, it's, it's, um, it, it, you know, it's, it's somewhat of a privilege to be able to, to go to such great places and ride bikes. It is definitely, uh, it's a definite perk to be able to go and do it. And obviously everyone's really, um, grateful for those opportunities. They, you know, they, they, so they can be quite hard work. Um, you know, it's, it's not like a, a three-day jolly like you certainly having to you know especially these days it feels like you know we, we need to maximize the the value of ourselves to you know to bike radar and our magazines to make sure that you know if we're going to be out of the office for realistically four or five days we need to make sure that we're producing enough content from that so it can be a bit of a scramble to make sure you're getting all those extra little bits that you might want whether it's a podcast or an interview or, or a ride feature and quite often the the expectation maybe from the brand is a new story and maybe a little first ride from the bike. So they maybe not tailored to giving you the time within the schedule to do all that. And, and, you know, and often the other media people on those trips maybe aren't looking for anything more than those, you know, a couple of stories. So there's often a lot of pressure, you know, you know should we go for a pint? Should we go and do this? And you're like, well, actually, I, I've got to create this space and time to create this content. Um, the, the tricky things come when you know there's an embargo, which is so close to uh, the end of the launch. I've, I've I've been on the way to the airport and had an embargo while I was on the way to the airport from from the very launch I was going home from, and those you know that is stressful and busy. You know it, it's they're very good, but it's not a holiday. Yeah, completely. Kind of you know you are, you are you do end up right in way into the night or writing in airports or on planes or you know. Uh, wherever it may be and of course you you, you can always get that that thing where um a, an over eager employee of one of those brands um might just go and put it all on facebook on his own personal mm. facebook and then you know then you get home and every media out there in the world that wasn't there has the story first that's particularly irritating i i think i i think i threw some furniture when that happened when i, when I was on a launch <laughs> <laughs> an insight into warren's uh Warren's home life, I guess, or hotel life. <laughs> okay, guys, I think that was yeah, that was really interesting. Um, hopefully, you all found that very interesting. If you did like this podcast, do subscribe wherever you listen to us, and and join us again. Tom, thank you very much. Thank you, Rob. Warren, thank you very much. Thank you. And thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the Bike Radar podcast. If you want any more information on what we've been talking about or more news and views on cycling, check out bikeradar.com. Radar.com.